Rock, and I want to welcome her to the Library of Tamanica. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And um, we want to? Yeah, we're oh, going. We're going. Huh? We good? Is it live? Yeah, we're live. Oh, stop playing. Okay. So, what you want me to tell? Because see, I can talk. I love hip hop to the <laughs> I, fullest. Though. I was so you know so the, when you read about you, you, you began as a B girl, mm-hmm. and in the in the earliest days of the South Bronx. Yes. Sir. Um, what was the scene and the culture like? For you, late in the in the seventies, mm-hmm. what drew you to the culture, and what was your kind of earliest memory of of what hip hop okay. is? Well, well, for me, Tim, um, for a lot of your audience that's listening, um, listening, and shout out to Chuck D. I I appreciate it. That's my dude. I, I love him to death, and mm-hmm. I like the way he continues to excel, you know, in his craft. But for your audience that don't know who MC Sharrock is, I am the first female MC of hip hop culture. I'm also a founding member of hip-hop culture Mm. and let me say that again a founding member of hip-hop culture but when everything had begun to start moving forward and i say that you know also to say that i am the first female mc that was a part of an all-male group which which was originally the funky four before it came the funky four plus one more so for me, Shah Rock, I got my start, you know, um, in the Bronx, you know, in late, late 77, you know, I became an, um, well, it started for me in 1976. In 1976, what was going on in the Bronx at that time? It, it was so many different things, you know. Um, we were coming up in the era of, you know, condemned buildings and, um, a lot of different things were going on at that time. What gravitated me to what we now know as the hip hop culture was the fact that in 1976, I was introduced to being a B-girl and a B-girl. What y'all may know now and some people may call it is breaking. So um, in 1976, you know, I was a B-girl breakdancers for for whoever doesn't know what, you know, the B-girl is. By 1977, I became the first female MC of hip hop culture. So whatever anybody may have said or told, or y'all may think that it was somebody before shot rock. That's, that's not true. The problem was, and the reason why that information has never been, you know, maybe released or, or you may not have known is because a lot of times when the media do coverage of hip hop culture, the only thing that they say is, okay, it started in the Bronx and the father of hip hop is DJ Cool Herc. Right. And they only name, uh, Cool Herc, Grandmaster Flash, and, um, maybe Theodore. But then they go straight through the seventies without finding out what was really going on in the seventies. And a lot of times, you know, especially um, when j- you were, were not there, sometimes people take the word of other people. And so some of that information is suppressed right. where you don't really know what what went down. And I, I say, you know, to the media, you know, and everybody that's out there, you know, that 
say they hip hop historians. It's like I just really wish that they would have took the time to to really do the research on the seventies and what was going on, you know, in uh, in that time instead of really just going past and not 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 knowing or not you know trying to find out what went down. So as MC Shah Rock, I was on that front line. I helped create the culture. I was that that woman and that little girl that used to help hook up, you know, the, the, the speakers, the sound systems. You know what I'm saying? Just being there, you know, assisting, carrying the crate records on the front line, played in every single uh, era, area of the Bronx in New York City. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I'm, t- I'm talking about I'm talking about as an MC. But let's go back. In 1976, when I became a B-girl. Not all, but most men, you know, um, that that were, that were going to, you know, the parties or the parks or, or whatever. People like Grandmaster Millie Mel from the Furious Five or, mm. you know, Keith Cowboy or some people may um, know the nigga twins. Now, may sound derogatory, but in the 70s, that's what they were called because there were two twin brothers who were good breakdancers. Now, although they didn't go, uh, they didn't become MCs. It's people like Millie Mel or, you know, Cowboy, MC Shah Rock or, or KK Rockwell, you know, or, you know, that that um, were B, B, uh, B boys and B girls, but transition over to becoming MCs. And if you were there, if you were there and you were on that front line, you know, um, you know, doing doing the era, you know, of really when the B boys and, and um, MC and started taking off between, you know, um, 76 for, for B girls and B boys and the 77 MCs and then really taking off into 78. Then me being that B girl, I was able to travel around to every section of New York City because I traveled because I wanted to hear those break beats mm. so I can break dance. If they had a park jam, I would go. If they had an inside jam, I would go. And so I knew who was out there. I knew who was an MC. And I knew who was the the B boy, or if there there were B girls, I knew that. So a lot of times, you know, um, when people say, you know, I was out there and this is what I did, you know, or you may not have known me because you were on that side, you know, of the Bronx. That that's not true because I was a B girl, so I went to every every part of the section in the Bronx to break dance. Just like I did in, in Manhattan, just like I did in Harlem, just like, you know, when I became an MC, I was all over New York City as an MC. And so most of the people that were there, like on, on, on the front line with me, and there were a select few, um, they know the deal and they know, you know, what I did for the culture. But I had gotten married, you know, at what, um, 20, 20 something, you know, year, years old. So I left New York City mm. and I traveled, you know, with, with my husband that was in the, in the military, you know, around the world. And so I always assumed that my history was locked in because the information was there. But anybody else that have said that they were like the first female MC or anything like that. If they would have took the time to check the flyers, Mm -hmm. if they would have took the time to check the cassette tapes, because the cassette tapes was like the mixtapes that y'all have that that is out now. But we were doing cassette tapes in the 70s, even like social media and following and trending. MC Shah Rock and the Funky Four was trending 
back in the 70s because we had little or no resources. And what I say by that is that we didn't have radio. And, and, and I must say, much respect to you for allowing me to come on the show. But but in the, in the, in the, um, you know, the late 70s, radio wouldn't even listen to us. Right. They wouldn't play the type of music that we were playing in the parks. They wouldn't play the type of music on the radio. At that time, when I became the, the first female MC of an all-male group, we had little or no resources, and that is the Funky Four. Three, three guys and one girl. We had no resources, no radio, no, um, no, no way to really let everybody know what we were doing in the streets and the parks, and I'm saying as far as emceeing. The only way that the Bronx knew and New York City knew was by word of mouth or by flyers or by cassette tapes that people used to make you know, just so they can, you know, take to their perspective areas. If they were coming from the Bronx, if they was coming from Manhattan, if they was coming from Queens to see what was going in the Bronx, they would tape it or buy the cassette tapes from, you know, um, Richie T, which was the owner of a, of, of a club that allowed us to go, you know, like in the late 70s to, to um, MC. Um, they would try to buy the, the cassette tapes from his, uh, his, his store, you know, which was called the Rhythm Den. But... We had little, new, little or no resources, which meaning that we had to pass out flyers, you know, word them out, cassette tapes. But when we did that, you know, when you went in, in, in late 77, 78, what it did was it would bring people from all over the world to the parks, to the street yards, to the school yards, you know, that we were playing in. And in the summertime, we would go inside to the clubs. Now, for everybody that don't know, you know, my history, there is not one female MC before me. I don't care if you hear that, oh, I'm the first female soloist, I did this and I did that. MC Shahrock, me, I can prove everything that I say. Why? Because I have the receipts. I have the cassette tapes. Y'all may call them mixtapes now. I have the cassette tapes. I have the flyers. I have the word of mouth. I have footage. And the only reason why people were allowed to to suppress that information and not speak on it, because I wasn't in New York City to mm-hmm. protect myself. Because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yo, it the information is there. there. Yeah. Nobody can't run around here and lie about it because the information is there and I can prove it. And so when I began to start realizing that the world didn't know who I was, the world didn't know that MC Shah Rock was on the front line to help move this culture forward in the 70s, when the world didn't know that um, MC Shah Rock was the first female MC or I was, you know, the first um, uh, female, a part of an all male group, or I was the first female to use the echo chamber behind my voice, or I was the first female to have a record deal. First hip-hop female to have a record deal. And for anybody that don't understand what that means is that I didn't come into the game in 1979 and just did a record. Mm -hmm. I was on the streets in the parks of New York rhyming, rhyming as an MC, helping this culture move forward before 1979. Which meaning that in 1979, that was the onset of of probably like about six or seven different rap records that was out. 
from the Sugar Hill Gang to um, King Tim, you know, to uh, Curtis Blow, um, Lady B from Philadelphia, and also the Funky Four. Plus one, we were the first authentic group to record a rap record in 79. But, Tim, I'm assuming that the world noticed because the information is there. Right. So when I came from back overseas um, with my my husband, when when he was stationed, you know, in, in Fort Bragg, I started going in. I started going in and I started shutting down any different stories that were told about who was first or the information that was suppressed. Then I started coming forward and say, look, this is, this is what it is for all everybody out there that, that claim to be hip hop historians, right? I deemed them wrong because they were supposed to protect the true history and the true story of hip hop from its beginning. And they never took the time to check what somebody else said. They just wrote it, wrote it, wrote it because it was a story. Right. You understand what I'm saying? And so my thing is that if you speak on something, especially when hip hop, cause I, I, t- I take, I carry this in my heart. You understand? And, and I'm passionate about it because it's something that I help create it. it. It was never about the money. It was never about the monetary aspect of it because guess what? I ain't never made no money from from it. I did records with Sugar Hill Records. I ain't never get paid from it. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? But that was never an issue for me because at the time, it was never an issue for me because I carried hip hop in my heart to this day. And I love the culture. I don't care what people say it should be or it, it, it must be or this and that. I know what I helped create it. I, and I know what it means to me. And just talking about it brings tears to my eyes. But I tell you, there is no way that my information should have never been told. Yeah, obviously a I'm lot. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, I, th- I think you bring a you bring really good points, and in, in terms of, you know, you, you, what was it like for I mean, you for for a female to stand up, sit, go up to the mic at this time at all? I you know, no matter you or, and and the and the women after you, like what was from your from your contemporaries? What was it? I mean, why why why, why did it take so long for? A female to get on well, the microphone. It didn't take that long. I mean, not, not I mean, for me. No, no, I'm not saying, but like, why? It seems like it just seems like there's there, there was hesitancy for for some reason for a female to step okay, up to the microphone. So, so let me let me tell you let me tell you about me and my era, and I'll tell you the time frame for me. So, like in in this seventy seven in the seven seventy beginning of seventy eight seventy seven was 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 a year when you know the MC when the MC and form of the way that the MC was in, excuse me, was MC and yeah. took, took to effect by, by, you know, beginning of 78, it was, it was, you know, widespread in the Bronx. I never had that problem, Tim. Why? Because I came out the gate swinging as a, as an MC, not a female, but as an MC. Remember, I come through the era of the inception of hip hop, so, which meaning that, for every male that that was out there, 
you know, or got on that mic, I had to be just as good as they were, mm. if not better. Okay. So I never dealt with, you know, um, the, 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 the way that maybe, you know, some people say, well, it's only like one or two females out now, you know, why would it take so long for the next female to come up? I was running New York City, running New York City. Why? Because I honed my craft. I studied my craft. I loved hip hop. I loved, even though at that time we knew it was hip, we would say hip hop, hip hop in our rhymes, right? But then when we really started bringing everything together as a culture, okay, well, this is hip hop culture. So you may hear, you know, like some people may say, oh, you know, it wasn't called, you know, hip hop culture. I mean, hip hop until, you know, like 92, something like that. But that's when the world started calling it. But if you was out there in that street, you know that all the elements that that's supposed to be a part of the culture was celebrated. You, you some some of us said hip hip hop hip 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 hop in our rhymes. You, you understand what I'm saying? But I didn't never have to deal with the problems of male and and and, and female because I was an equal. When I was back, you know, in the '70s, to look at me, maybe that was a plus. But that's not what my skills were built on my skills were built on the fact that I was an MC being a female was a, was a plus, but I was an MC. And if you don't believe me, then what you can do is you can ask people like Chuck D that her, you can ask people like run, run from run DMC. He will go online at any time and tell anybody that, I was inspired by MC Shara. When I heard her tapes floating around, even throughout the 80s or or the 70s in the streets of New York, I thought that she was almost like 90% better than than the males, if not better. I was inspired by MC Shara. He just sent me something last week, you know, and and I sort of kind of lost it in the email because I wasn't able to, to download it and whatever. But the thing is, is that when you find people like DMC, when you find people like um, Puff Daddy, Sean, Sean Puffy Combs, you go online and you could find something when he he does an interview and he said, when I hear Shah Rock, Shah Rock, I, I never met her before, but I was mesmer, mes, mesmerized by her voice yeah. or, or the Funky Four was my favorite group. When you listen to, um, you know, uh, people like the Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys was winning an award one time and he, they were being celebrated on VH1. And one of the things that I think the commentator asked them was, um, who, who, um, um, inspire you? So one of the Beastie Boys said, the Funky Four, Shah Rock from the Funky Four. You understand what I'm saying? So the thing is that it was not the fact that I was ever, um, I was ever, um, you know, like, like had to push through from, from, you know, to separate myself from the males. I honed my craft. Hone it so much that in the seventies it carried over to the people like uh, DMC, the Beastie Boys, even to this day, Fat Joe. Right. You know that would sit and, and talk about it. You know how I was that MC, even so much that 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 is one reason that landed us on Saturday Night Live, the first rap group, or I like to say hip hop group. To ever be on national, authentic hip hop to be able to be on national TV. Why? Because we were playing in places like um, Soho. You know, we we went outside of our box. You know, um, 
you know, and like just not staying in the Bronx or going to Harlem or Queens or Manhattan. We were playing in places like the Soho, in the Mud Club for punk rockers. So we made the transition from hip hop to punk rock, brought it together, playing in those places. This is why you will hear people like the Beastie Boys say that because we didn't even know the fact that one or two or three was in the crowd when we performed in those places like that. You know, and that was one of the reasons that landed uh, us on Saturday Night Night Live, because the only two groups that was killing New York, you know, in the 70s was the Furious Five, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five and the Funky Four. So don't let nobody else tell you different. We were holding New York City down in the 70s. How did you I mean, what's amazing is that when you what's amazing to me is that. You were we like what I think I was doing when I was uh, a teen. Yes, sir. Wasn't you know I like the confidence level probably was not there, but you obviously exonerate even at nineteen seventy nine this this mm-hmm. and prior this amazing mm-hmm. confidence. Yes, sir. Uh, lyrically and just as a performer, mm-hmm. how 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 did you find that voice? Like how did you? I mean, what was going what? on personally? I mean, not, mm-hmm. maybe not personally, but right. what was going on? For you, within the culture, with the artists that you were seeing, with the B girls, B boys that you were seeing, mm-hmm. that gave you this confidence. Like, oh, I'm going to take this microphone and own it. Well, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. I'm. I'm. My movie is going to be um, starting to be filmed um, in the fall. And um, without giving out too too much information, um, it, it was my mom. It was my mom that made me have that confidence through trials and tribulations of what I was going on as a young woman moving from North Carolina to New York, seeing everything that was going on, I had to learn fast. But at the same time, I came up through through the era where hip-hop was my only resource to what was going out around you know, in, in New York City, politicians wasn't helping out, burning bu- buildings, um, drugs, everything that was going on in New York City at that time. That at some point, not that, you know, I was using them, but you you saw it, you saw it, you know. And so it's like it was your, my, um, I don't know, it's just that w- when I, when I rhyme or when I, write a rhyme with it just took me to a whole different level where that was something that I knew that no one could take away or no one could um you know infiltrate because I control the destiny of how I wanted people to see me or wanted to hear what I had to say you know and so I think that um I, it may sound corny but I'm telling you that that's that's being being a B girl and being an MC at that time, I didn't even knew knew that I was making history because it was just something that was there or came natural. No, none of us knew that it was going to go to the level in which it has, because at the time we weren't even dealing with the assets or the money or how much money that you can make. If we went to a party, you know, in, in the seventies. Just being able to get two or three dollars, you know, from 
the people that came in. And if they pay, um, pay two, $2 to come in or they pay $3 to come in when it was time for the winter shows, you know, if our manager gave us $20, that was good for us. You know why? Because that was enough for us to get money to get on a train or the bus or get White Castle burgers. That was good. No, for real. That's, yeah, that's yeah, how yeah, we yeah, live. Yeah, yeah. That's, you get $20. That, that's, that's what it was. But money wasn't a factor back then. And it wasn't even a factor when myself and the Funky Four, to me included inside the, the Funky Four um, plus one, had a record deal. Because we weren't even thinking on the level of money. Our parents didn't understand the music business. They didn't know. All we knew is that at the time we were dealing with cassette tapes. So we were like, and, and, and to include myself, was like stars in the streets in New York City. You understand what I'm saying? We were stars in the streets in New York City. So even with the cassette tapes, now if people are hearing us in the Bronx and Manhattan and Queens and Staten Island and Long Island, maybe now when we record this record, people will be able to hear us all over New York City that we don't miss anybody. And when you say cassette tapes, you mean cassette tapes in terms of people handing them out. No, cassette tapes is like remember back in no, the day. No, no, no. But I'm saying no, because uh, they would they would buy them at that were, time. They um they weren't selling them on the street. A lot of people would just collect them, right? Just so they could listen to them and walk down the street with their boom boxes right, right, playing. Yeah. Or you had like um people like the head record stores, you know, that would sell the cassette tapes out of the record stores. And this is when I say cassette tapes, I come from the cassette tape era, meaning that how people were able to hear me outside of the Bronx or maybe in different boroughs was because they somehow got their hand on that cassette tape, just like DMC did. That's how he was able to to hear me when I guess when he used to come up and go to school and, you know, he's from Queens, came up to to Manhattan to go to school. But he heard the cassette tapes um, in Manhattan, even though I was in the Bronx. And so that that's what I mean by, yeah, yeah. by cassette tape. And, and if they were selling them, I didn't know that. I just only knew that you could but only money get wasn't them. going to your pocket. Oh, no. But no, just to <laughs> clarify for people that don't, you know. Like, no. No, it's like someone. Yeah. Uh, Tim, money didn't even go in my pocket when I was signed to Sugar Hill Records. That's another, uh, that's another thing. I want to ask you about that. So oh, uh, yeah. in 1979, the Funky 4 Plus 1, Rapping and Rocking the House mm-hmm. was pressed on a single for vinyl for Sugar mm-hmm. Hill. Mm-hmm. No, no, uh, no, no, let's go back. Rapping and Rocking the House, that record was our first record deal. It wasn't under Sugar Hill. It was under Enjoy Records. Enjoy Records were like the first premier record label that was um, out of 120, I think like 125th, 26th Street on 11th and 12th Avenue, something like that. So that was the first premier label. So you heard people like um, uh, uh, Spoonie G, you know, was on that label. You know, later after us, it was the Treacherous Three. At one time, the Furious Five is on that label, you know, and a lot of other people had came to that label. But we was like almost the first rap group to sign to that label, Enjoy. So the record that we did was called Rapping and Rockin' House, which was the longest rap record ever. I think it was a little bit over 16, 16 minutes or whatever. We recorded that record in one day, one day because we were, you know, um, rhyming to the rhyme, our rhymes 
off of uh, Sherlyn got to be real, mm. which was how how that came out. Because and if your audience don't know, and some of them may know, is that for all the disco songs that were playing at that time in New York in the, in the late seventies, rap music made those songs even more popular. Because when you had like the Sugar Hill Gang that came out in 1979 with Rappers Delight or for the Good Times Beat, we in the streets were already rhyming to that song. Mm. Already. Before records, we was rhyming to that song. When we heard that song, we was furious. Because all of a sudden, here we is, on the streets of New York, in the Bronx, Manhattan, whatever, rhyming to that song, hardcore MCs. And then the Sugar Hill Gang makes a song off a song that we're doing right. in the streets. And bam, it's success overnight. Now, I'm I'm young. You know, I'm, I'm 16, 17, 17 years old. I'm young, mad, mad as hell. Because everything that I was doing on them streets, even as a female, they become an overnight success. But then I had to fall back. Because no matter what, as I got older, no matter what, they had a hit record. Mm. And they had a hit record that really took rap music and exposed it to the world. So if I love one element of hip-hop, which is rap, then I had to respect the Sugar Hill Gang because now they opened the rap element up to, to, to the world. So when did you, so when, when did Funky 4 Plus 1 get signed to Sugar okay. Hill? So all of us is on, uh, all from, from the Furious 5 to um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious 5 to, to the Funky 4 to, um, you know, other groups that, that came after us. We're all shine, signed to, um, to Enjoy Records. Now, Sugar Hill Gang had already had their Rapper's Delight song out song out Sugar Hill Miss Robinson brung up from South Carolina the sequence which they did the song Funk You Right on a Funk You Right so they did so they were living with um, Sylvia Robinson she brought them up you know to court so during that time she had already had the Sugar Hill gang she she, she was signing the uh, the uh, sequence and almost during the same time the Furious Five was leaving and Joy going over to her as well. So what she, what she did was she found out who was the groups, who was the best groups in New York City. Not, not, not saying the gang or um, Sequence, because Sequence was from South Carolina, right. but all the, all the groups that was killing them, you know, in the streets. And what she did was found a way... And um, there was a scout that um, had came to us and say, look, you know, uh, Miss Miss Robinson, you know, from Sugar Hill Records is interested in y'all coming over to um, to, to Sugar Records. And so we were already signing to enjoy. But we're young. So in the back of our mind, we thinking, OK, well, look, she got Sugar Hill Gang songs all over the radio. 
You know what I'm saying? They're traveling. You know, people know, yeah, we have rapping and rocking house and then people know what's in the street, but maybe we can be able to um, be on the same level far as with the game, you know, to be able to, you know, have our music go where their music is going because guess what? We, we are authentic MCs. Right. We know how to pull it off. And so we were torn. Some of the group, you know, like we, we had our manager. Our manager was like, you know, y'all need, need the way, you know, y'all don't understand the business. I don't even understand it like that. I don't think y'all should really sign right now, you know, because you really don't know what's going on or, or what, what's going to happen with this situation. Because he had a relationship with Bobby Robinson, which was no affiliation to uh, Sylvia Robinson, but Bobby Robinson was the president and owner of of Enjoy Records, and then you had Sylvia Robinson and her husband that had owned, you know, Sugar Records. So he warned us um, to j- just fall back. But we young, we was like, listen, you know, we've been doing this on the streets for a while. You know, now it's time to really take it to another level. We're gonna sign, or we're gonna at least go out there and speak to um, Sylvia Robinson and, and find out what it is that she could offer. And so she offers us offer us, you know, a good deal. All the things that she was going to do for us and, you know, this and that and this. And we're like, we like, oh, yeah, okay, this and that. So um, she had told us that she she would find a way to get us out of our contract, right? So we're negotiating, I guess. Well, I could say she was negotiating with, with Bobby Robinson and we got out of our contract. So in 1979, we was with uh, Bobby Robinson, one record deal. But by 80... We was in negotiation to sign with Sugar Hill Records. And I think by 80, 80, 80, um, 81, we had, um, we had That's the Joint, you know, out, which was, you know, one of our, our biggest, big, biggest songs, you know, ever that we recorded, you know, on Sugar Hill Records. And so we went against, we went against, um, our manager, J- Jazzy D's advice and went on and signed with Sugar Hill. And as I said before, our parents didn't know. All they knew was that we was doing what we loved. They didn't know. So we signed contracts. We signed contracts. My sister signed a contract for me, and she wasn't even legally supposed to because she wasn't my legal guardian. Uh, You know, absolutely. But the thing is, is that, you know, um, we did it. We did it, and we signed the Sugar Hill. And we signed the Sugar Hill. And that. So what happens next? I mean, you you signed to Sugar Hill and things are okay. Rosy? So we signed. Well, we okay. Sixteen, seventeen, seventeen years old. We I signed first female, first female MC with a record deal with Enjoy, and the first authentic female MC from the brand. And when I say authentic, it doesn't matter, and I'm not taking nothing from nobody else. But it doesn't matter that you you recorded, you know, like in the same year that I did. The fact is, is that I was on them streets. I was I, I helped created this culture. Rapping was just one element of the culture. So you, no, nobody, no female that ever recorded a record in 79 or after that had the accolades that I did. I'm hip hop. Mm-hmm. I started this culture. So when I signed, you know, to Sugar Sugar Hill, she promised us a lot. And everything that she promised, the touring, 
we did. Um, the records on the radio, she did. The money, never saw. There were times when we were out, you know, on the road. We we went on the first um, hip-hop tour ever in 1981. Or actually, yeah, in, in the beginning of, of uh, 1981. Because, I think it was, yeah, 1981. Because we had the, um, we was out there with um, with uh, the Sugar Hill Gang. We was out there with the Furious Five, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. We was out there with the Gap Band. At, at that time, you know, they were hot, you know, mm-hmm. in the streets of New York. We were out there with Sky and we were out there with Wayne and Charlie, who was a, a ventriloquist. So we were out there touring states all over the world. The first ever hip-hop tour was run by Sugar Hill Records. We was out there. We waited days out there to get our money that we were supposed to get every night. Mm -hmm. One time we saw her come out. We waiting. We young kids. We broke. We ain't got no money. But we torn. We on stage doing everything we love. Rhyming. Killing it. Because the two people... Uh, I should say the two groups that that were handling, you know, um, that that were the authentic ones that was from New York City was the Furious Five, Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five and the Funky Four. So we were giving the world the rawness of what was going on in the Bronx at that time. So we were loving what we were doing, but we weren't getting paid for what we do. When whenever she came out there and, and we saw her one time, she threw us a couple of hundred dollars. Right. But we on tour. We we we're doing cities after cities after cities after cities, and didn't see the money right. for the time that we were out there. We got free food, yeah, because you know they used to give you yeah. free food be- before sound check and all that stuff. But we didn't see the money that we were supposed to see when we was out there. Was that everyone that was on tour that, that kind of the same boat? I don't or know. There was I don't, no, there wasn't that conversation. I, I don't know. I I know. The complaints didn't come. We didn't hear no complaints from them. We didn't hear the complaints. But we was we was mad. The funky four plus one was mad. And let's go back. When I when I when I tell you um, you know, you, you have the funky four and then you have the funky four plus one. I'm the original member of the funky four. I helped create the funky four. When the funky four start started started out, you know, I was an MC, you know, in 77, late 77, but then the Funky Four came together in 78, in the beginning of 78. So the Funky Four consisted of me, Raheem, who later went on to the Furious Five, because at the time they were the Furious Four, you know, and they were the Furious Four, you know, in um, um, 78, but Raheem went over in 79, I think, you know, 70, yeah, he went over with them in 79 and they became the Furious Five. So it was me, Raheem, KK Rockwell, and Keith Keith. We were the original Funky Four. So probably for about like a year and a half, we were together as the, as the Funky Four. Raheem left the group. The last time we performed together, you know, well, was like in, 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 in June of, of 79. But we had a battle with um, the Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five on May 11th, 1979. My group, some of the guys in the group felt like he wanted to go over to to become a member of the Furious Five. So it was a fallout. I was very close to Raheem. I left. 
I mean, he left, I left, right? So when he left, I, I left, the two members that was left wind up getting two more new, new members, which they was the new Funky Four. So within that month or two, I came back because the manager asked me to come back. When I came back, I then became the plus one. So, so you know, for, for your audience that didn't know that, a lot of times, you know, they say, okay, well, Shabra, you know, she was a part of the Funky Four Plus One. No, I was the original Funky Four. And what that means is that I was the original Funky Four that was on the street of New York City from the front line when the coaching, all the elements were being put together, the styling of rhyming, the clothing, the, 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 the way that... um the flyers and, and information was being put out, the way that the sound systems were being, you know, built, the way that we um, was able to move around in New York City, you know, during that time without um, social media or, 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 or radio. I was a part of that era that helped move that culture forward. I was a part of that era that helped created that era. I was on the front line. And so... With that says, it goes back to media that talks about hip-hop that go on somebody else's story without really like what you're doing. Let me talk to her. Hmm. Let me find out what really, really went down. Because everything that I'm telling you can be backed up. I lived that life. I lived it. So for anybody that you have ever heard, and I don't know that you did, or that you were ever here, all you got to do is ask yourself or ask them, show me proof. What made you different to Shah Rock? And if you was out there before Shah Rock or you was out there as a female before Shah Rock or during the time of Shah Rock, did you come across her? Was you in them street parks with her? Okay. Well, how many shows you did? Do you have the proof? And I promise you, it's a select fruit that can tell you that they was. Because I am the first female MC of hip-hop culture. And the only reason why people were able to get away with it for so long is because I wasn't in New York City. I wasn't in New York City. But this is my legacy. And, and for everybody that's listening, please understand, I am humble. I've been humble for almost 40-something years. But this is my legacy and my, my, my children's legacy and hip hop le- legacy and the world legacy to never allow someone to take everything away from me that I help create it. Mm-hmm. So if it has anything to do with the money, I don't care about that. But if I'm owned, owed it, I'm going to get it. <laughs> don't get me wrong. That's true. I'm going to get it. But that has never been an issue with me because I was on that front line. Um, in 1981, when uh, you uh, Funky Four Plus One performed on Saturday Night Live, yes, becoming obviously the first rap group to do so. Yes, sir. Uh, first, how did that happen? What was it like to get that call? And did and and then what was the reaction? What was your reaction when you were there? Mm-hmm. Prior to going in, post uh, performance, and then what kind of what, what? Okay, so at that time, as I explained before, we on tour, we on the major a major tour with the Sugar Hill Gang. We get the call. Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live want you to, um, I mean, Blondie 
um, Debbie Harry Blondie wants you to appear on Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live with her. She's hosting. She wants the Funky Four Plus One. So we get the call while we on the bus. You know that that she wants. So we didn't get to complete the whole tour of of uh, the Sugar Hill tour because we were brought back to do Saturday Night Live. So we was like, wow, okay. So now we, we, we did cassette tapes, right? People know us. We did a song, Rapping and Rocking the House. More people know us. We did, uh, that's the joint, right? But now, now, the world, it doesn't matter that the Sugar Hill Gang has the number one song. For me, for me, I don't know how they, the, the Funky Four was feeling, the other guys. But for me, I was like, you know what? Now, now the world gets to see how, how, um, the authentic female rhymes from the Bronx that was on that front line, and they get to see how the funky four plus one more came this far. Mm-hmm. So now it opened it up to um, a whole different other level. And we knew that night we were like the talk of the town in New York City because the word had got around. Not through social media, you know, or anything. We, we weren't dealing with that. But just by word of mouth in New York City, that the Funky 4 Plus 1 is going to be on Saturday Night Live, right? So everybody was sitting by their televisions waiting. We were stars. Because when we did the show and we came home, New York City was on fire. And it was like, they was rooting for us. They was rooting for us because for every, you know, um, person that was in New York City at that time or even was coming up that wasn't really like on the ground, you know, you know, maybe like from from your, you know, your your Jay-Z's, you know, and um, your LL Cool J's, you know, or whatever, you know, because I, I seen what they speak of, you know, what was the moment of their life? They're saying when the Funky Four, you know, plus one went on um, Saturday Night Live. So now I don't know this, but that means that they was rooting for a culture that they were beginning to to, to get into, right. you know. And so when we went when we went on Saturday Night Live, we thought it was going to open up a lot more doors for us. But remember, we were still under contract, and we still had to go through a lot to get out of that contract. So we were stagnant. So we um. You know, was booking our own shows. Um, we, our, our, as far as like managers and all that stuff, we could only book what we did. So we was using that to be able to to go around, you know, to to the different ven- venues and, and setting things up or whatever. But we felt like Saturday night, Saturday night live was supposed to take us to another level. But that level at the time was the control of the label because we still. Hadn't yet figured it out, you know, far as dealing with the record industry. Do you wanna rock? Do you wanna dance? Do you wanna rock? Are you willing to take the chance? 
Now this is the way we wine and dine And at the same time, mess with your mind On the same identical beat one time As we possess the beat that'll make you wanna rock Taking you on down to the last stop We are the funky Yes, we are the funky